We are being hypnotized by people like this. News readers, politicians, teachers, lecturers. We are in a country and in a world that is being run by unbelievably sick people. The chasm between what we're told is going on and what is really going on is absolutely... Oh yeah, dude. There's some Nephilim shit. It's like we all know what's going down, but no one's saying to what happened to the home of the brave. These motherfuckers, they controlling this now, and no one's talking about how they made us fight in these flames. And everybody's just walking around, head in the clouds, and won't awaken to a dead in the grave. But then it's too late, we need to be ready to raise up. Welcome to the end of day. Everybody is slaves, only some are aware that the government releasing poison. Welcome back, everyone. To another episode of Nephilim Death Squad, uh, we have a very exciting episode. I know I say it's exciting because I know that uh, Top and I are personally excited, uh, and I know that a lot of our fans have probably heard us bring this up ad nauseum at this point. I think we might have mentioned uh, this gentleman maybe in the past uh, five episodes alone, um, and I know that you guys were talking off air about how much uh, his work has this interesting overlay uh, over the things that we're discovering, uh, Top and I, as we go through this show. So uh, I am David Lee Corbo, a.k.a. The Raven. This is Top Lobster, and we are finally joined today uh, by Mr. Jerry Marzinski. Uh, Mr. Marzinski, would you mind introducing yourself a little bit to the audience and letting them know um, where they could find your work? Okay. I'm a uh, <clears throat> retired... Uh, licensed psychotherapist with over 35 years of experience in working with thought processes of the psychotic and criminally insane in some of the most volatile psychiatric institutions in the nation. I've held positions as second lieutenant in the Arizona Civil Air Patrol, assistant scoutmaster. Um, my formal academic training comprises a BA in psychology from Temple University, master's degree in re rehab counseling from the University of Georgia, and two years of PhD study in a uh, psychology program. I'm the co-author of an amazing journey into the psychotic mind, breaking the spell of the ivory tower. And uh, I've been on the front lines in mental health for a long time, and uh, I've seen I've seen what's going on, and it's a it's a friggin' joke what they're doing. This uh, drug-infused merry-go-round of the mental health system that doesn't cure anybody or anything, but it's making these, uh, the psychiatric mafia and, and big pharma billions of dollars a year. It's crazy what they're doing. Now, Jerry, just to jump straight into it, uh, you think they're doing this for money or uh, other like more nefarious purposes? Because obviously your work kind of goes from uh, scientific to like right into supernatural and the occult and a, a better question for you was that a shock for you when that first happened because i can imagine most people who are going into the like the education field especially to become a doctor you're very like literary what's in this book taking that very serious my wife is an rn so like i know how that kind of mind operates and then to be confronted with what you were confronted with what's that what's that like for you Oh, uh, when I realized that the voices that schizophrenics were hearing were actually entities, it was a major shock. You know, I, I, I actually shut down for a day when, when 
when that happened. Um, and and then being threatened by the voices was a it was another another shock. I didn't want to believe that these voices were hallucinating, you know, were um, entities. You know, when I when I first came out of uh, graduate school, like everybody else, I believed that these things were hallucinations because that's what the book said. You know, all the psychology books, all the all the yeah, the voices, schizophrenics here are hallucinations. Um, when I got onto the front lines, things took a very different turn. When I when I could see what's happening with my own eyes, um, you know, and and when I first started at Central State Hospital, which was the largest psychiatric hospital on the planet at the time, there were ten thousand patients there when I got there. It was like a sea of of mental illness. But for somebody who was an adrenaline junkie and interested in abnormal psychology, it was for me it was like a candy store, you know, a strange candy store. Uh, so I know here I, I can see I can see the type of person you are now, Jerry, because uh, my wife immediately after graduating she went into the ER and uh, described it much like you describe it. But I'm like, I asked her, why do you keep going back there? And it's kind of like, uh, I did. There's something about it. They like the people that work there and retire from there. She no longer does it, thank God. But there's something about that that draws a certain personality type. So I'm I'm noting that. <laughs> oh yeah, I spent ten years working in uh, big hospital ERs. My last ten years of my formal uh, work before I I went into my own private practice, and uh, it, it wasn't boring. <laughs> It wasn't ever boring. There was always something happening. So for for an adrenaline junkie, it's it's one of the places to be. Um, but when I got to this this large state hospital, um, you know, I, I noticed that the, the voices that these schizophrenics were hearing weren't what I thought they were. I mean, when when they say they're hallucinations. And that's all they said in the in the psych books. Oh yeah, they're hallucinations. And you think of a hallucination as something that's crazy and random and makes no sense. You know, it, it's just all over the place. No, it wasn't like that at all. Um, what I first noticed was that these these schizophrenics were carrying on long, involved, coherent conversations with their voices. They were conversations and arguments. And they weren't at all random or like um, word salad. I mean, they, they were perfectly coherent. So what it sounded like was uh, if you, you're listening to somebody talk on the telephone and you only can hear one side of the conversation. So I could hear these guys conversing with these voices and responding to them, but I couldn't hear what the voices were saying. And so that struck me as odd. You know, another thing that struck me as odd was nobody in that entire hospital was interested in what the voices were telling these people. Nobody. I mean, here's hundreds, uh, many hundreds of staff there. I mean, the, the place sprawled over, I think it was over 3,000 acres they had assigned to that hospital. There were over 200 buildings. And I never saw anybody curious about what those voices were telling these people except me. You know, and I'd, I'd asked uh, all the psychiatrists I worked with, I asked uh, the psychologists, I said, what, you know, what, what are the voices? What, what are they telling these people? And they would just say, well, they're hallucinations. 
which is what they were taught in college, which were they taught in medical school. But they haven't done any research on them whatsoever. It's just like the arrogant psychiatric mafia and big pharma have, you know, like the high priest of ancient Egypt have just come out and go, we hereby declare that the voices are hallucinations because we say so without Mr. any Marzinski. research into it whatsoever. Is there a fear from the clinical side of things that uh, communicating with, or, or not necessarily communicating with, but entertaining the dialogue? What's the dialogue about? What are they communicating about? Um, that that somehow feeds into what they would consider an illusion uh, and that it could further progress or further spiral the situation. So it's really almost a liability aspect where um, mm. I guess the practitioner wouldn't want to be liable uh, for, you know, increasing the delusions and <laughs> and so you know by that virtue then these are just it doesn't matter what they're saying uh what the conversations are about they're strictly hallucinations and let's continue forward that, that's exactly right and that's what the morons say but that's not the truth of the matter at all okay and i got called up twice by psychiatrists for asking patients to tell me what their voices were telling them. and that's exactly what i was told uh the first one, the voices don't like people asking about them. You know, so they will steer people away from, from those that are asking about them, or they will act up because they don't want to, they, they want to be seen as part of the person's psyche, as part of their, their thought stream. You know, and that's what's so dangerous about them, because they sound just like the person's, the, the, the thousands of, of thoughts that run through a person's head every day, except the content is very different. You know, the intention is very different. But uh, if it's schizophrenic, I, I've, had, I've talked to several of them. They ask, uh, they're as curious about what the voices are as I was. You know, and they would ask the voices, what are you? Who are you? And the response was, we are you. They want them to believe that those voices that they're hearing are coming from them and belong to them. If they believe that, they will turn into the voices and be psychotic. You know, it's a very dangerous situation once those voices start because they sound just like the thousands of other voices that the person hears in his head every day. We all hear a voice in our head talking to us all the time. You know, everybody does. You know, the question is never asked, who's listening? You're hearing that voice, but who's listening to it? And how much of it is true? Well, there's another layer when it comes to schizophrenia. Those voices sound just like the thousands of voices that are running through your head every day. I mean, they sound the same. They have access to the person's memory. You know, uh, they can pull up every rotten thing that that, that person's ever done and rub it in his face uh, until they, they turn them negative. So what they are, they're parasites. They have to turn the person's uh, emotional state negative before they can take the energy. Now, that's another thing that psychiatry doesn't see either, that there's a one-to-one -one correlation between these the, the voices coming and the person's energy being drained down to nothing. And are they you, don't just get schizophrenics. Are you talking about like uh, physical energy or something like louche? Well, louche. Now, you can look at it as louche, but it turns into physical energy because these guys can't even get out of bed. Oh, wow. So... so I've talked to a number of them that uh, uh, 
you know, that they had an appointment in the morning and they were so drained after a night of being attacked by the voices, they couldn't even get out of bed. So these things are feeding off of these people. And they, like I said, they don't, they don't just hit schizophrenics. They, they control them more than they do most people, but they hit us all. So, you know, you might have been walking down the sidewalk one day and, and some guy irritates you or something and, and here's this thought comes into your mind to beat the crap out of him or whack him up the head with a baseball bat. Or you might be standing on a bridge and you go, I wonder what it would like to, to be to jump or uh, why don't you just turn into oncoming traffic? Those kind of thoughts, they don't come from you. Matter of fact, Emanuel Swedenborg says none of your thoughts come from you. You decide what thoughts you want to attend to. So Jerry, let me let me propose something to you. Um, there's a, a cliff in California, I believe it's called Suicide Cliff, right? Um, they found out, well, pe- people would go there, they'd stop at this gas station, and people that weren't suicidal, a lot of them would just commit suicide. But the engineers and scientists or whatever found out that something about the, uh, what's acoustics. the word? Like, the, acoustics, the acoustic resonance of this cove that people were in, it would it would draw them like it, it would want to it would make them want to commit suicide or at least have these thoughts. Have you ever thought about some like just geographical locations, acoustics, frequencies that would enhance uh, the ability for these entities to come through faster or perhaps like the really bad ones hang out there? You know what I mean? Like why? Why would this be happening? I don't know, but I've heard of something similar. They called it the dog suicide bridge. I think it's in the U.K., you know, where dogs just leap off of that bridge to to their deaths, and nobody can explain why. Yeah, there was some sort of a. We, we were talking to a guest, and we got onto the track of infrasound and how some um, some animals can emit such a low frequency that it actually causes a feeling of dread in human beings, um, and that sort of mirrors this experience when people have a, maybe like a sleep paralysis experience. Um, there's often this sort of vibrational, almost an electric buzzing, a sensation that's accompanied with a tremendous feeling of dread. And so we went down this interesting path about um, how various frequencies can uh, produce different emotional states, but but very high dramatic emotional states. For example, the fact that you would never experience uh, that level of dread that you would in a sleep paralysis episode with some sort of you know shadow entity that these people describe oftentimes, uh, that that feeling of dread simply ne- never manifests itself in waking life in any other situation. And so, uh, whatever these entities operate through, it often seems like they could uh, uh, sort of evoke high level emotional states, whether it's rage or, or sadness or, uh, or fear, right. And you're talking about how these things, they will put you to your lowest and feed off of that energy. There's sort of a reciprocal, uh, event taking place where they can make you feel that way. And then they feed off of it and it's a cycle. And then they do this essentially until they drain you. But, but Dr. Marzinski, I do want to mention to you, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this. I, I talk about it often on my show. Um, my aunt, is a uh, schizophrenic and uh, multiple personality disorder. And um, she has had a lot of very uncanny experiences that I think I find maybe my the rest of my family is uncomfortable talking about. Uh, sort of things like precognition. Uh, she seems to have an ability at times, or at least there are anecdotal stories, uh, where she 
knows something seemingly like insignificant that is about to happen and then does take place. Uh, and it, it's never like groundbreaking, you know, but she does seem to have like this little uncanny window into uh, future events. And like I said, they're never like big, tremendous events. They're seemingly insignificant, but she does seem to know them sometimes. Uh, she also has this experience where she will smell um, a sort of a sulfuric smell. And then this is her cue that some entity is around. She calls it the devil. Uh, but the way that she smells it or the way that she describes the scent is often the way that other people who have experiences, run-ins with um, various entities. And we're talking from, you know, someone who is a, a, a sort of a victim of like a de demonic encounter that they find very difficult to explain. But oftentimes they will say that it was um, uh, first caught on to as far as their senses by a smell a sulfuric smell something rotten um accompanied with a sulfuric smell and uh also people who experience cryptids interestingly enough will also describe a very similar smell uh and my aunt um she also has this these events where she's been able to find things for example like she'd be in the care of another aunt of mine but she'd know exactly where to find um, sort of gold. Uh, so if my aunt had stashed away her jewelry for fear that my schizophrenic aunt was going to find it and do something, she'd know where to find it. Uh, and, you know, she claimed that it was basically the voices that told her, but nobody was willing to really have those conversations with her. Uh, it was just very short-lived, you know, oh, the voices, you know, I, could, I would overhear it as a child. Oh, how did she find the gold. I thought you hid it. I thought you hid your jewelry. She said that the voices told her where it was. And then there's no explanation for that. And people find yeah. that very uncomfortable. I know in your work, um, this is something that you've come across. Uh, maybe I'm speaking out of, out of school here, but I do believe you've described things as uh, precognition and also the ability to find things that otherwise they shouldn't have been able to. Um, and I wonder maybe if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, first of all, multiple personality and schizophrenia are two very different things. Okay, the multiple personality—it's it's like uh, they are actually different, uh, objective, different personalities. So, one personality could be uh, violently uh, allergic to shrimp, and another personality in that same same person could eat shrimp and not be affected at all. I mean, so it's, it's that big of a difference. These are individual personalities. Do you mean like a, schizophrenia is a different thing? Is that like an actual physical reaction to shrimp or would it just be a psychosomatic? Yeah. No, no, it would be an actual physical allergic reaction to shrimp. You know, one person breaks out in hives, one personality, the other personality can eat shrimp fine and there's no reaction whatsoever in the same body. So it's a totally different phenomenon than schizophrenia. You know, schizophrenia, they, it started out, I mean, it means split mind. That's what it means. Um, but the, it, it's um, characterized by these entities, these voices that uh, the psychiatric mafia insists are hallucinations. But they know stuff. I mean, I've talked to uh, especially uh, meth addicts. When they run out of meth, the voices would tell them, where to go and when to be there, and some stranger would show up with meth. Yeah. I had one prisoner telling me, watch out for this guy over here, he's going to assault you. 
and a day or two later, that happened. You know, so they know stuff that the person uh, himself doesn't know. And they use that uh, to, to get their claws in the person, like, well, see, we can do this for you. And once they get your trust, then they got you. You know, they're, they're feeding off you. They are parasites. And, and the voices never say anything good. It's always bad stuff. It's like, you're no good. You're rotten. You're ugly. You're stupid. Uh, nobody likes you. You're, you know, every rotten thing that you could think of, those voices tell these people. Right? So they really bring them down into dumps. And once they, once they get them down there, then there's a one-to-one -one correspondence between the voices coming and their energy disappearing. So these things are parasites, and they feed off of all of us, not, not just schizophrenics. You know, you start thinking a negative thought, you know, and you, you ask yourself, well, where does that come from? I mean, where, where does your thought stream come from? It wasn't there when you were born. You know, where do thoughts come from? I mean, nobody's ever dug into a, a person's brain and found the thought in there. So your brain is like a radio, a, a radio receiver. It, it's turned to a certain frequency. The schizophrenics are turned to a very low frequency, and the voices want to keep them there. So even if they try to, you know, do these, uh, what do they call them? These where you repeat a positive phrase or something like that. The voices turn it back. Yeah, a mantra or something like that. The voices turn it back down. Okay, so you ask yourself, well, where do thoughts come from? That's never addressed by psychiatry or, or, or psychology. Neither is any spiritual matter. We're all spiritual beings. That's completely ignored by psychiatry and, and psychology. You know, Big Pharma treats us like biological machines. Those drugs that they're dishing out are, for the most part, very toxic, especially the antipsychotic drugs. They rot your brain out with long-term use, and, and they lie about it. You know, they... They won't tell the patient how dangerous these drugs are. The, the antipsychotic drugs are some of the most dangerous drugs used in medicine today. And and when they you know, found my, out, I'm sorry to interrupt, but, but my aunt, uh, she would actually neglect her medication. So when she was on her medication, she, you know, you could have a conversation with her, but the way she described it was like a sort of a dulling effect, almost as if these things are like sedatives. It's like, we can't really are. identify the problem. We can't solve it. We can't fix it. And so let's mute. Yes, That's exactly. Right. And so the, the that experience was so negative. Yes. And that was so negative for her that she would rather have the, the, the experience of multiple personalities uh, than to be on the on the uh, medication. And so, yeah, that's we, it's like a terrible Band-Aid that is not at all addressing the actual issue. We just no. sedate them. That's right. And, it, and the side effects are awful. They're just god awful. Um, and, and they don't even tell the person the worst of them. You know, they'll, they'll tell them, oh, uh, it'll blur your vision. There will be sexual dysfunction. You'll feel a little you know, drugged up, you'll be a little groggy, uh, you know, the common side effects, they'll tell the patient, but they won't tell them, hey, with long-term use, it's going to rot out your brain, it's going to rot out your central nervous system, it's going to rot out your peripheral nervous system. They, they, they don't leave it, they don't put any of that out. They don't tell them about the akinesia and the nervous d disorders that it, it causes. Matter of fact, at the state hospital and, and some private hospitals, that's all they know to do is to drug these people. So when these side effects, these these nasty 
neurological side effects start, they'll give them another drug to sedate them more so they're not feeling the, the side effects from the antipsychotics. So that their, their brain is continually being rotted out. There's permanent neurological damage. And they're giving them stuff like, uh, oh, what is it, cogentin, to mask that, that, that neurological damage. You know, these people are, are, and they know they're not curing anything. They know it. You know, they're not curing anything. They're taught in, in, in college that this is all there is. You know that these drugs are all there is. There's a number of, of uh, different energetic therapies coming out right now that will deal with most psychological problems that the big pharma and and psychiatry and psychology don't want you to know about. One of which is the Mace Energy Method. You know, it's invented in Australia, and it it will handle most psychological problems and, and get rid of them, cure them. In, in a couple of sessions, you know, just like that. What exactly is it? Is it like a frequency machine? It's an, it's, it's an energetic therapy. So your, your thoughts are energetic, your, your, your uh, memory's energetic, your feelings are energetic. You know, so your memory's energetic. So it will go in there and it will, it will defuse the traumas that caused these problems. Now, it's great with depression, it's great with neurosis, it's great with anxiety, it's great for uh, kind of PTSD, you know, most common uh, psychological problems. It, it's having a little bit of more trouble with, with schizophrenia because the voices are, are different entities, but it will remove the trauma that they feed off of. So it, even though in a lot of cases it won't, it won't completely cure schizophrenia, it'll make it a lot better. You know, and then once you educate the person as to what's actually going on, that this isn't a biochemical imbalance as, as the big pharma made up. That was a complete fabrication, this biochemical imbalance crap. You know, first, they started off blaming the mothers, say, oh, mothers did something wrong, and that's why the kids are becoming schizophrenics. But everybody could see that. The mothers were going, no, no, we didn't do anything wrong. Look, I mean, it, you know, we were great parents, and the, the kid became schizophrenic anyway. So what they had to do was boost it up into an area where people couldn't see or verify what they were saying. So then they started with this genetic garbage. Oh, it's a, it's a genetic disorder. You know, and and they, they're still touting that. I mean, even today, they're still, they're still touting that. And, and it's been proved completely wrong. So, Dr. Marzinski, is there a correlation um, that's been found between childhood trauma and schizophrenia? Yeah, there's a correlation between all kinds of trauma and schizophrenia. You know, there's usually with schizophrenics, you'll find uh, severe physical, emotional, uh, psychological abuse, sexual abuse. It, it's there. I mean, virtually all psychological problems are caused by some kind of trauma. You can be linked to some kind of trauma. And that MACE, MACE does great about getting rid of those things. Um, you want to know more about it, there's a, a website. It's called www.maceenergymethod.com backslash about backslash. Okay, I'm definitely going to ch check that out. Let me, let me ask you, I mean... When I, you know, I'm like, a, I'm more of a political guy, or at least I was. And uh, then I started to figure out 
the kind of like energy, energy stuff and, and this, you know, conspiracy minded stuff. And when I look at like certain events, 9-11, um, COVID, a huge one, these are trauma events. And in my opinion, most likely done on purpose to feed on our right. it, And so it, is war. Yeah. Oh, that's a huge one. All yeah. the wars that they constantly keep running. Yeah. It's just demor. I called it demoralization before, but now I'm thinking just straight trauma. And it kind of does make sense if, if you are, let's say, like a lower vibrational entity that is in charge of this large apparatus called the government. And you kind of wanted to produce more ways for other entities to get into your general population of 300 million plus people. And then you, you combine that with uh, antipsychotics, which is what you were just talking about. And it's, uh, I feel like that creates the world we have today where you're taking like half the people off the grid. Then the other half, you're trying to drive them to insanity. You know, the ones that you haven't doled down. Then there's a small remnant of us who are kind of seeing through the bullshit and still have our minds about us, you know, as of right now. Man, this is, it doesn't look very good. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. Matter of fact, uh, we've identified some 23 patterns that these voices run. Okay. Now, the deal is, if they're running fixed, repeatable, you know, non-variable patterns, they can't be hallucinations, which, which the psychiatric mafia is insisting with no research into the matter whatsoever. They're just declaring that these things are hallucinations. And, and, and what's interesting is that these patterns that these psychotic voices run, are the same patterns that we're hearing over the television every day from the mainstream media right now. And I'll run through some of them for you. Negativity. The voices are consistently, persistently negative. They don't say anything good. You turn on the television and it's constantly bad news. This person died, that person died, people shot. Uh, these many people died in the war. It's all bad news being broadcast constantly, all the time. Okay? The, anti, the voices are anti-religious. They can't stand the 23rd Psalm. They can't stand the person going to church. They can't stand them reading the Bible. They can't stand them talking to preachers or being anywhere around a priest. What hallucination would do that? You know? What, 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 why aren't they, if they're hallucinations, why aren't they all over the place? Why aren't some positive? Why aren't some negative? Why aren't some uh, neutral? Why aren't they all over the place like regular hallucinations? They're not. They're consistently negative, and you can see this for yourself. Anybody who works with these people, anybody who uh, has a, a schizophrenic uh, family member can see this for themselves. You, know, you can see these things for yourself. They foster and create negative emotion. They don't ever say anything good to the person. It's all bad stuff. They're, they're, they're creating that negative emotion because that's what they feed off of. And then their energy level drops once these voices attack them. There's a one-to-one -one correlation between being attacked by these voices and their energy being drained. So they're parasites. And they're not just hitting schizophrenics. They're hitting all of us. You know, any negative thoughts you have about yourself or anybody else is put into your head by the dark side. Right? Your, your, your brain is actually like a radio receiver. You decide what show you want to listen to. You know? And if you're tuned to the negative stuff, that's what you're going to get. 
So these things are, are parasites, and, and people who are schizophrenics need to understand that these voices are feeding off of them. They're not there to help them. You know, they're there to drive them crazy and, and suck their energy. They get louder when ignored. I, I remember at the state hospital, uh, uh, one day I was in with a psychiatrist and the patient. The patient was complaining about the voices, and the psychiatrist said, oh, they're just hallucinations. Just ignore them. So I called that guy in a week later, and I, you know, I didn't know anything much back then. And I said, how's that working for you? You know, when you ignore the voices, what happens? He said, it's not working at all. They get louder. And that's a consistent thing. You can talk to all of them. If they try to ignore the voices, the voices get louder. They will not be ignored. Okay? Uh, they foster self-destructive or, or self-defeating behavior. They're always putting these people up to, to, to sabotaging themselves, to getting themselves in trouble, to getting themselves thrown in jail or prison. Once they get them thrown in prison, and the prisons have become the state hospitals now since they closed all the state hospitals, so they're putting all the, all the schizophrenics in there now, and, and they're being abused and, and threatened and, and terrorized by some of these other gangster inmates. And then when they're, they're uh, sentences up, they release them with two weeks of medicine and 50 bucks and said, okay, you're free. You know, they're in much worse shape than they ever went in there on. So the, the prisons are generating uh, worse and worse criminals. You know, I've seen them release people that I knew would kill somebody in six months, but their their sentence was up. They're done, and and rehabilitation in the prisons is a joke. It used to exist back you know ten or twenty years ago. They used to have rehabilitation programs. Now they have virtually nothing, and the private prisons are even worse. They're just holding tanks. They don't do anything. They don't do any kind of treatment. They don't do any kind of groups. They're just friggin' stagnant holding tanks for these people. You know? And they, they pay off the legislators and go, oh, yeah, we can keep your people uh, in prison for cheaper than anybody else because they don't do anything for them. They're just sitting there rotting away. You know? So the voices demand the attention of the victim. You know, they, they maneuver for increased control over the victims, just like the government does. More and more control all the time. They gaslight their victims. Government's good at that. They manipulate perception. Government's good at that. Uh, now, one thing, one thing they do have, they have complete access to the schizophrenic's memory because these are energetic entities. They can go in there and they can pull up every rotten thing that person ever did and start rubbing it in their faces. You remember when you did this? Remember when you hurt this guy? Remember when you did that? And that generates negative emotional energy also. They've even right, found stuff that the person forgot about 10 years ago. They, they brought it up. So, Dr. Marzinski, does this... Uh this correlation I find really interesting, and I'm, I'm glad you brought this up again because I, I had written it down. You mentioned it earlier, right? Them having access to the memories and sort of throwing past trespasses in the victim's face, right, as as a manipulation tool. Um, and so it's, I guess it demoralizes them. It gives them, you know, it's going to produce more negative energy, thereby more control over the victim. Um, and this reminds me very much of, you know, uh, we could just look to the Exorcist film where... Uh, and there's plenty of them. They've made this movie ad nauseum over and over again. And um, there's always the the uh, the person who's been possessed by this entity has somehow the ability to recall something about, let's say, for example, the priest who is praying over them, trying to exercise the demon. Suddenly, 
this person turns to them and knows a thing that they've done in the past and yeah, wields it against them in this moment. It, yes, exactly. Um, and I recently had a guest on uh, my other show, and he was talking about he he uh, made a church in uh, Alberta, Canada, and um, there's a, a a really big drug issue out there. And he was trying to help, you know, remedy this. And one of the things that he would see is these people who were on drugs. From his perspective, he felt like they were possessed. And, uh, you know, but once again, this line right between mental illness and demonic possession. Um, and the way that he's describing them to me is very accusatory. So even at the lower stages of, uh, of really rampant drug use, often a user will turn uh, uh, very negatively towards anybody who would interact with them and use sort of accusatory language. And uh, at its highest stages, where it really drug abuse really looks like high-level mental illness, really looks like demonic possession, there is a lot of this uh, sort of um, mirrored interaction between all three of them, where the, the common thread is this accusatory nature, and it got me thinking about I, I, I'm not a biblical theologian by any means, but I, was I do just have this. Say, Satan, Satan, Satan the is accuser. the accuser. Yeah, right. It's... So, boom through through all of these things, that's the common line: Satan the accuser. And you can see this behavior across all of these. And then that right there, obviously, is something that uh, human beings have been struggling with since our inception. Uh, it's you know it's in our book, and uh, and to me that jumps out as a really important piece of this puzzle um when you start to ask the question why is this a common thread does that does that resonate with you at all that resonates right on 100 percent. and the worst drug out there is meth you know i've seen more prisoners go psychotic on meth than any other drug out there i mean it's a very dangerous drug the prisoners called it uh, uh the devil's drug when i was working psych in the in the prison system um They'd start off and, and uh, you know, feel great. They felt like Superman. They, they didn't sleep. They got a lot done. Uh, felt wonderful. And then when they crashed, it was awful. And then they started hearing the voices, you know, telling them rotten things about themselves. And, and uh, they go, oh, that's just a hallucination. It'll go away. And, and when they came down, it did. And it might have gone away um, maybe another 20 times or 30 times or something. And then one day it didn't. They were They were psychotic. As psychotic as anybody in the in the psychiatric hospital, you know, it makes people crazy, and they stay crazy. It doesn't go away, you know. So, if they start hearing voices and it doesn't go away within six months, there's a very good chance they're going to be psychotic for the rest of their lives. Meth is a very very dangerous drug, you know. It opens you up to these these negative entities like no other drug out there. And it's coming across the border, you know, blessed by our government at this time, by the ton. You know, it's just it's just it's it's just coming by the truckload over the border. It tells you something Ritalin. about our government at the present time. Yeah, in Ritalin. Yeah. You know, they're putting they're putting more and more kids on Ritalin. Uh, I mean, they got they got tens of thousands of kids on Ritalin now, and and may, maybe even more. I have the st the statistics somewhere. But, uh, you know, and they move on. 
they, they move on from that. I asked prisoners who, who were put on Ritalin as kids, you know, well, you were feeling as good as you, you had in a long time. You were able to concentrate. Why did you keep taking more and more meth? Their answer was, I don't know. You know, they, they've, they've, they're drugging kids at an enormous rate right now. Uh, Dr. Marzinski, was that something that you saw uh, with meth users? Was that uh, accusatory nature? Because I also feel like there's something that happens when people get addicted to uh, really hard drugs like, like meth and things like that, where um, anybody who seeks to help them is somehow yeah. turned into the enemy. And yes. so when I think of like the accusatory nature, I also think of that. Was that something that you saw particularly with meth? That's what I saw with meth and I saw with schizophrenia. You know, the voices are telling the person that anybody who's trying to help them is their enemy. You know, so that's that's particularly difficult for moms and dads who have schizophrenic kids because they don't realize that they don't. They, for the most part, they don't realize that those voices are entities trying to take over their kid. You know, and the worst thing they can do is allow them to, to sit in their bedrooms by themselves listening to the voices. You know, yeah. But the voices make it so miserable for uh, for the parents that a, a lot of times they just give up and say, yeah, go go sit in your room and leave us alone. You know? It's an epidemic. So, Jerry, let me, let me tell you a story about a guy that we just spoke to, maybe even last episode, I don't remember. Um, oh, yeah. He was he went on a, a journey similar to what you're talking about, using a drug and looking for answers from the other side. The, the drug was mushrooms. But what the story turns out that, that he told us is that uh, he did make contact with entities from the other side, but they've been giving him advice. And it's been exactly the opposite of the, the traits that you just described with the schizophrenic uh, entities. They're, they're giving him ad advice. They're helping him with diet. They're helping him with life stuff. They're saying, don't work this job, go here. And he came on, he's, he's fully convinced that he's communicating with them. And another uh, overlap there was he was taking a lot of mushrooms to contact these things whenever they decided they would give him a nudge, hey, we want to talk, get the mushrooms. Now he says he doesn't have to anymore. He got to a point I would like where to also toss in there they were pushing him, oddly enough, this is the only time I've ever heard this, pushing him towards uh, Jesus and the church. Yes. And now he's he's an, an avid churchgoer, prays on a regular basis, uh, has an incredibly healthy lifestyle, has improved by almost all metrics. And uh, and I've just never heard any any of these entities that you would contact through drug use. And I'm certainly not advocating it for anybody. And, and I don't believe he did either. Uh, he even said that specifically. He said, don't do this um, because it's, you know, intense and, and horrifying in many ways, I suppose. But I've never heard anything point the user towards uh, Christ Positivity. and towards the church. That was very yeah. interesting. Well, I've heard some of these voices do that now. This is the first time I've ever heard of a positive outcome because what they do in most cases, they'll start out positive, you know, like I'm a spirit. I can I know stuff that you don't. I can help you out. I can tell you where you lost that, that kind of stuff. And once they hooked them, then they turn on. them. You know, so they want to get them hooked and believing that they're this is a, a positive entity that can help them out from the other side, like their guardian angel or Christ or something like that. Once they get them believing in them, then they turn on them and ravage them. So 
this is a this is the only case. What you're telling me is the only case I've ever heard where something like that came through, except for maybe that Seth material, or or something like that. It's very very rare. Usually, it's the other way around, where they'll tell them, "Oh, we're, I'm Christ," or uh, "I'm a positive spirit. Uh, I can help you out," and then they turn on them. So you got to be very careful with that. Because they want to get your trust, and once you let them in, then you've given them permission, and then you can't get rid of them. It's very yeah. difficult. That's a hermetic principle. It, would right. you, in your studies, like what's the? Because there there has to be some kind of solution, right? People aren't just left out to dry, and, and medication's not one of them. What have you seen? Well, the first thing that people need to realize is that these aren't hallucinations. And that these toxic drugs that psychiatrists are feeding these people aren't getting rid of anything. They're just, they're just, you know, like you guys said, they're they're major tranquilizers. All they do is dumb them down. They don't cure anything, and neither do there any depressants or any anxiety agents. They're all they're doing is drugging the brain. So the first thing they need to understand is that these things are entities. You know, they are not hallucinations. That they are not the person that the voices they hear in their head do not belong to them. They come from these entities. You know, and they're marked by uh, usually negative stuff about the person themselves or people around them. And their intent is not the same as the intent of the person themselves. That's the first thing that has to be done. And the mainstream media, big pharma, they're making uh, over $4 billion a year on antipsychotic drugs. They don't want this information out. They're not trying to help anybody. They're not trying to cure anybody. They're trying to sell drugs. That's all they want. They could care less whether they work or not. You know? And they, 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 they've got the entire human race under their thumb. The entire Western world is believing their bullcrap. They, oh yeah, we're the only, uh, only people who can treat schizophrenia. We're, we're the mental health specialist of the world. You know, it, and you you look at you look at their their. You, you would think that you know, schizophrenics have a suicide rate of three to five times higher than the normal population. You know, you would expect that from schizophrenics. Psychiatrists also have that same number of suicides. They're they're virtually identical to that of the schizophrenics. Three to five times that of of the normal population. These are the people who are running the mental health system in the United States. Not only the United States, all over the Western world. They're curing nothing. They're, they're, also, they're also making the most contact with these entities. If this right. was radiation, you know, and someone was like just green glowing and the doctors are sitting there next to him, it's like... You're going to get that, dude, especially if you don't know what you're dealing in, which is like one of the most important things in life in general. This is this whole thing is very spiritual. If you don't know that that it's spiritual, then you're going to be like, I don't know, trust the plan with Q or you're going to be like, I'm going to go over here and cut my dick off because people said so. You got no you're flying blind. And right. most doctors are. It's yes, baffling. That's exactly right. That's a guy. And that's why doctors, uh, especially psychiatrists, are attacked by their patients more than virtually any other doctors. And I, I remember seeing that when I got to Central State Hospital. Psychiatrists were always getting slugged. 
you know, it was more than psych nurses. It was more than psychologists, counselors. Uh, their assault rate was virtually identical to that of attendants who are working 24 hours a day on the wards with these psychotic people. You know, and they were, I think they were a little bit afraid of these people. So they didn't want you irritating them at all because you couldn't ever predict what they were going to do. You know, so they didn't want anybody asking questions that would irritate the voices. So you, you, you look at you look at the, the overall. Yeah. So so here's psychiatry, the psychiatric mafia and big pharma saying we're the only people that can treat mental illness. We're the experts. You, know, you look at what they're doing. I mean, in the United, last year. There was uh, 49,200 people in the United States committed suicide in 2002, 2022. That's almost 50,000 people killed themselves in the United States alone. And this is, this is with more antipsychotic and, and, and psychiatric drugs than have ever existed on the planet in the history of mankind. And this is happening year after year after year after year. We're so desensitized. So, so what's, the rep what's the report card on these guys? You know, I'd, I'd give them an F. You know, mm. the CDC reports 132 people in the U.S. kill themselves every day with more psychiatric drugs on the planet than ev ever before, ever. You know, so only 50,000 50, people died in the Vietnam War that lasted 10 years. And you got 50, almost 50,000 people killing themselves every year, year after year after year taking these friggin' antidepressant drugs that don't work worth a crap and make them feel like crap. The Mace Energy Method could handle this. They could, they could fix these people, but they won't, they won't promote it. You know? Between 2000 and things... 2018, the suicide rates increased 37%. They're going up and up and up. Every year they're going up. And, and according to the... the uh, CDC, the U.S. suicide rates have reached the highest level since World War II. And this is with more psychiatrists and psychologists being in existence than ever before. You know, does this look like it constitutes an effective mental health system? It's garbage. It's a drug-fueled drug merry-go-round that just goes round and round and round. I've yeah. seen it in the private psychiatric hospitals. I've seen it in the state hospitals. I've seen it in the mental health centers. They bring these people in. They milk them for all the insurance they got. They fill them full of these toxic psych drugs with nasty side effects. They release them. Six months later, they go off these drugs because they can't stand them anymore. They go psychotic again. They go back to the hospital, and the merry-go-round goes around again, fleecing them for you know eight to ten thousand dollars every time it spins. And then they complain about the medical cost in the U.S. being out of control. I would give these psychiatrists and this Western mental health system an F. A solid F minus. They're they're worthless. So they're more than worthless. See, I disagree, Jerry. I'd give them an A plus, because <laughs> if you're looking at something like this, it doesn't appear like like like, like you said the correlation between uh, psychologists, mental health psychologists, and suicide is on like a consistent level spiking up together. It's like yeah, if I wanted this to look this way, I would keep building this medical system. If I there's no at this point there's so much evidence like we'll talk about the COVID vaccine or whatever there's so much evidence where it's like it's clearly dangerous clearly bad but they keep pushing it almost as if 
the desired outcome is, you know, what they're at. So yeah, A plus for these guys for doing whatever evil shit that they're doing. Yeah, for for executing an effective plan. Oh, uh, wonderful medical aspects yeah, for, yeah, of this. Uh, uh, yeah, an effective deleterious plan to destroy the human race. They get an A plus for that. <laughs> yeah, they're doing and for drugging well. down the entire population of the Western world. I mean, they're everybody's you know, on SSRIs. That's right, and that that don't work. They're making right. uh, again at fourteen billion dollars a year selling those, and fourteen billion for antipsychotic drugs. We're talking billion, not million, billion. And then when you and come off the, the SSRIs, it's actually causing people to have psycho psychotic events. Man, guys, yeah. the Nazis yeah. won World War II. This is like the yeah, Nazis exactly, won World yes. War II. They're in contact with some kind of entities, and they're actually in control of this government that's doing this. That's the well, only way say. any of this shit makes sense. Otherwise, there, your own government hates you. There's an aspect of this that I, I really want to talk about, which is the fact that this entire time, schizophrenia and, and diseases that are, or, you know, mental health diseases that are like it, are often described as hereditary. And that would need to be completely revamped through this scope. When I was younger, I, I explained to you that my aunt has these issues. And um, I actually was in her presence one day. Uh, I was very young. I was a toddler. And she was this is before I think she was fully diagnosed and we, we just kind of thought like, you know, she's a little bit off. Um, she had a weird request. She, she asked for me to grab her the silverware drawer. So I go to grab her the silverware drawer. I'm maybe five uh, and strange request. I, I managed to pull it out of the, the drawer, the you know, the entire thing. And I'm walking down the hallway with it. And I suddenly hear a voice. I hear a woman's voice. And it sounds like uh it doesn't come from my ears. I knew this even as a child. I didn't hear it with my ears, but I heard it very loud and clear just within my own head. But it was distinguishable as not my own voice. This was a woman's voice. Uh, she was monotone, not not angry, not happy, none of that. Uh, and she told me, as very matter-of-factly, that I was going to drop the drawer. And, I, and suddenly uh, everything became sort of distorted uh, and like I got uh, vertigo. I would say, yeah, like vertigo. And I dropped the drawer and the, the, the noise of the drawer snapped me out of it. And my aunt was furious and it was a whole thing. But because of that event, I was worried for my entire life that I was going to be schizophrenic. And I became aware peripherally of this idea that there is sort of a, an age marker, 26 to 29 or something like that. Uh, if, if it doesn't manifest itself by then you're good. So <laughs> Honestly, I didn't talk about it for a long time until I got over that hump. And, you know, nothing ever happened since. Everything's good. I'm now 33 years old. But hereditary is not the way that we should be looking at this situation. No, it's, it's, not, it's not. They haven't found any evidence of hereditary. But what they have found is something called familiar spirits that run in the family. Okay. So they, the, the schizophrenic creates the conditions in the child or family member for these entities to move in. You know, there is no genetic uh, marker for these things. They, that's been disproven. There is no biochemical imbalance, which is what they're still teaching in the universities. I mean, psychiatrists are still graduating thinking that schizophrenia is due to a biochemical imbalance in the brain. That was made up in the, in the 70s, I think, by Eli Lilly when they came out with Prozac. They needed something to explain why their, anti or their uh, antidepressant drug had an effect. 
So they go, well, it must be some kind of chemical something. So they made up this chemical imbalance theory, and they're still selling it today, even though it's been disproven over and over. There's the same, no actual the same study, right? There's no, like, to, in order to prove that there's a chemical imbalance of the brain, you would almost need to have a sample of a brain. And, and I would imagine, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm clearly no uh, chemist or biologist, but you would need to do something on a physical level to determine what the normal levels of, you know, cortisol right. or, or, and, and there's been no uh, studies no. that were conducted like that, that showed no, anything. There hasn't. And, and that's but one of the first things that narrative. I, yeah. That's one of the first things I noticed when I w went to work at the state hospital, they never gave any kind of test to determine what was out of balance or by how much ever, you know? And I'm like, well, if there's a biochemical imbalance, how come they're not given some kind of lab work? How not, why, why not some kind of uh, EEG or EKG or some kind of test to determine what chemicals are out of balance by how much? Dude, and they're still not doing it. They, even though they'll tell you it's a chemical imbalance, you go to your psychiatrist, you ask them, how do you know it's a chemical imbalance? What's out of balance by how much? They have no idea. I mean, it, it's just like throwing a dartboard. They go, well, we'll start with this drug, and then we'll see how that does. And if that doesn't work, we'll try another one, and we'll try another one. They'll just go around the whole circle of drugs until they find one that seems to work the best. They have no idea what the chemical balance of the brain actually is. They don't know. They don't know it's, anything. It's bullcrap. It's, it's incompetence. Pure bull crap. They they did this to my wife. Um, she uh she had the, she had to get some some shot. I forgot what it was. Uh for a virus that she's already had to work in a medical setting. And this is just vaccine stuff. And she goes, well, I've actually had this virus, so I probably have titers to it. Can you check my titers before you just jab me up with whatever? And they're like, the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> just take yeah. this shot. Like, right. there's not even a thought. And they could measure this very easily with a blood test. So if something right. else is a little more obscure from the brain, they're like, we're not going to do that shit. Just like, <laughs> whatever. When I was Insane. a kid... When I was a kid, I was diagnosed with ADHD. This is how they diagnosed me. They brought me into an office, a therapist, whatever it was. They sat down with me and my uh, mother. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, retarded. maybe, <laughs> dude, this is unbelievable. <laughs> they looked at me and they were like, yeah, checks out. Uh, no, they, I'm sitting there with my, my mom and the, the therapist or the psychologist, I'm not too sure which one actually, uh, you know, oversees this, uh, hands me a packet of math problems. And I think I was maybe like 12 uh, or 11. And he hands me a packet of math problems, sits me down, tells me to complete them to the best of my abilities. While that's happening, he's discussing me and my performance in school with my mother in front of me, which is very distracting. So I'm listening to what they're talking about, and I'm trying my best to fill out my inability to complete the packet to whatever standard that they expected me to be able to complete it was enough for them to put me on Adderall. And so for my, I think I would have been 13 years old. That's eighth grade. For my eighth grade experience, I was on Adderall for a majority of that year based off of just anecdotal stories about my inability to focus in class and then my inability to finish a math packet in a timely fashion uh, while they talked about me in front of me. That was how I was – and is then this, essentially put me on meth. <laughs> Jerry, is this applicable like to if, – if we're to create another Nuremberg trial, like – I don't want to implicate you in it, but like, man, there's so many people guilty of just that story right there is baffling. They're like, hey, kid, we're going to ruin your life if you don't do these mad problems within this certain amount of time. And then they just go ahead and do it. Uh, let, me let, me, let me tell you how bad it actually is. And these, these are old stats. 
these are very old stuff. God. These are from uh, 2017. It's much higher right now. In 2017, more than 7.2 million kids have been put on psychiatric drugs. Okay? More than, it's like 622, over 622,000 of these children are, are under the age of five. Under the age of five on these major psychiatric drugs. You know, eight, over 80,000 are on ADHD drugs, which leads to meth in a lot of cases. Over 38,000 of these kids under the age of five are on antidepressant drugs. You, you, the, here's the side effects of antidepressant drugs. Nausea, weight gain, trouble sleeping, dry mouth, blurred vision, dizziness, anxiety, headache, diarrhea, or constipation, sexual problems, fatigue, tremors, increased swelling, uh, lower, lower alcohol content, bleeding, lower sodium levels, vomiting, restlessness, muscle cramps, and seizures. And they're putting these kids on these antipsychotic, on these antidepressant drugs. And you Let wonder, you this. You know, does this help anything? Does, are the, maybe these effects that I experience, these side effects that I experience, I would imagine that they line up with meth. Uh, so what I experienced, three things definitively was um, dramatic weight loss, loss of appetite, and increased irritability. And so mm -hmm. that year, I got into an incredible amount of fights. I actually had to go to the scared straight program in order to graduate <laughs> from middle school into high school. And to me, that sounds like I imagine meth addicts are pretty irritable. And I also see them getting right. very thin, and they don't seem to be focused on eating very much. No. So, you know, with a with somebody who really has ADHD, you give them Ritalin or Adderall and they fall asleep. It's the yeah. exact opposite. So you were misdiagnosed and they kept you on an amphetamine as a kid for that that month of time. Now, so get, my, the, get, the, my, get the amount of kids that are on antipsychotic drugs. Over 85,000 kids are on antipsychotic drugs. These are the drugs I was telling you about that destroy the person's brain. So they're rotting out the brains of little kids that are under the age of five. That's in 2017, and it's much higher now. Imagine you know, right over, after COVID, that spike. Jesus Christ. Yeah, over th oh, over yeah. th 389,000 are anti-anxiety drugs, which are addicting. These are kids. You know, these people have no morals whatsoever. I mean, it's like incredible the what this, they're doing. The root of this is to get children to adhere to a failing public schooling system, right? This school system is broken. The general public schooling system across the U.S. is broken in so many different ways. Children are not finding it to be um, uh, engaging. It's not fruitful. They're not, they, they, they don't want to be there, right? This is essentially, many children describe it as prison, right? This is a, 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 a pseudo prison system. And because your child will not, uh, bend to the rules and adhere to the system properly, then you go to a medical professional who says, put your kid on meth. It's almost like one government institutional system that is a failure or a complete success feeds the other. Like mm. in the education system, we can talk all day about what's wrong with it. I homeschool my kids because I don't fuck with that stuff. Um, but it's like, yeah, it's a failure done on purpose to feed the next thing almost it's it's disgusting it's 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 horrific i mean they want to they want to they want you dead and they want to have sex with your children and they think it's funny is what constantly yeah. comes in my brain whenever i think about this they think it's funny 
Yeah, the, the duplicity is incredible, especially with their DSM. This the Bible of it's the Bible for psychology and psychiatry, the uh, diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders, completely made up. All these mental illnesses are completely drained up by this 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 panel of psychiatrists that meets every couple of years, and they just make these things up. They either, they vote them in and they vote them out. You know, it's it's a complete work of fiction. There is no test to to test for any of the the mental disorders in this group, in in this book. And it looks impressive. You open it up, and here's all these numbers and subcategories, and and it, it looks like a some scientific thing. It's far from it. It's a joke. You know, it's a, it's a series of uh, behaviors that these people have pathologized. You know, so. You know, every single one of the more than 296 psychiatric disorders in the DSM-5 uh, and later have been completely made up. The list of fabricated mental disorders appear to be increasing astronomically with each edition of the DSM. They make more of them all the time. They have to use these, these categories to charge uh, insurance companies. You know, in 1952, the DSM listed 106 psychiatric disorders. In 1980, there were 256 of them. The DSM-5 lists 297, and they appear to be fabricating more with every edition. You know, there are two-thirds of the psychiatrists on the board that are making these things up are associated with Big Pharma. They're, they're getting kickbacks from Big Pharma. You know, not one of these 297 medical disorders has a defining lab test or any other kind of test to diagnose what these things are. There are no blood tests. There's no lab tests. There's no x-rays. These are just classes of behaviors that are made up by psychiatrists and voted to be a mental disorder. I think it's, what's it's, worse right now, too, is that uh, talk about a layup for the pharmaceutical industry and the medical apparatus that surrounds it is that we are now in this epidemic of, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, I notice it constantly, people who are more than happy to self-diagnose. There's like sort of a cult of personality that's developed around um, re relating to or, or you know, claiming to, oh, that's, that's like, I can't tell you, TikTok is inundated with... This is how to know that you have ADHD. Not only that, this is what if you have this going on in your life or that going on. And it's some of the most benign, inconsequential things uh, that they'll go. This means that you have ADHD or this means that you have that people are there is a sort of a reward system, a cultural reward system set up uh, around self-identifying as having a mental illness. This is something that I've noticed like is rampant as somebody who was diagnosed when I was a kid, I find it, uh, horrible to just hear this. There's almost a, it's almost become a fad. Well, that it's like is, you get, I think an accurate way to put it. What's that called? Is it Munchausen syndrome? Uh, where you, you have, proxy you have or, a proxy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have a, a, someone abducted and then eventually they start to defend you. They start to defend their abductor or abuser. It's kind of oh, like right, what's right. happening. Yeah, it's uh, 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 leech trolls in the chat actually just said it's social contagion. I think that is uh, uh, that's what it's become. These uh, obscure, hard to diagnose, no 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 tests, no background for it, no actual evidence that there's a chemical imbalance. These things have become social contagion, and that is. I mean, we're not only are we one of it's only us, and I believe um, 
uh, where did they film Lord of the Rings? Not Australia. There's another place. I forget what New it is. Zealand? But there's only two. New Zealand. Uh, New Zealand and the U.S. are the only two countries, as far as I'm concerned. I don't know if it's changed since I learned this, that actually advertise uh, for pharmaceuticals. And yeah. so the this is a payday for you're doing the work of these, you know, uh, pseudo intellectuals, these these uh, uh, medical uh, professionals who would be diagnosing. You're doing it for them. And you, you go to them and you go, well, now it's not. Well, I saw a commercial and the commercial said, if you experience A, B, C and D, you may be, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, you, you may have this disease and may be eligible for this medication. Now it's not even that. Now it's happening for free. Nobody has to pay the advertisers. TikTokers are doing it. It's on social media. These people who aren't even paid by the industry are telling you that it's this sentient. is... Yeah, they got the y- ball yes. rolling. They're, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Marzinski, there's a great question here in the chat. I just wanted to ask you this. They said, thoughts on Christians using the name and authority of Jesus to cast out demons. There are many videos of uh, this deliverance online, and it's compelling. And one of the episodes I was listening with Tony, Tony Merkel, a uh, guy had a sleep paralysis entity on him. He, like, mumbled the Lord's Prayer, and he... he he said it was similar to throwing a flash, a flash bomb in the room, how the entity reacted to him, just like right. vile. That's exactly has, has right. That's exactly yeah. right. I've seen it over and over again. They, they can't stand the 23rd Psalm. It's like burning them with a blowtorch. You know, they, Psalm 91, they can't stand. They can't stand going to church. Um, you know, I did a, a little study on, on that once when I was in the state hospital. If the voices were very weak and the person went to church, they shut up. They didn't say anything when they got in the church. If they were moderate strength, they would just babble on so the person couldn't hear what the preacher was saying. If they're very strong. They would they would drive them out of the church. They'd jump in there and they would run out. But yeah, why would a why would a hallucination be anti-religious? Why would they react so vehemently to the twenty-third psalm? I had uh, one patient describe. He said that they react to the twenty-third psalm like worms thrown on a hot frying pan. And several, several others of them have, have affirmed that. They can't stand the 23rd Psalm. Why would a hallucination do that? You know, why would a hallucination be consistently negative? Why wouldn't it be random? Why wouldn't it be all over the place? I mean, these things, if they're running patterns, they can't be hallucinations. That's all there is to it. There's a pattern to them. Something is holding them to that pattern. Something is proliferating that pattern. The psychiatry just doesn't want to hear it. Neither does psychology, even though you know those 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 um, uh, traits, those uh, aspects that I read you about. That's you know what what they're doing is is you know the voices are energetic entities. What they're doing is is like if you got a, a magnet, a big magnet, you can't see that magnetic field. You can't hear it. You can't feel it. You can't taste it. You can't touch it for all practical purposes. For you, it doesn't exist. So you get a bottle of iron filings and you put it on top of that uh, magnetic field. Now you can see the outline of the magnetic field. Those patterns that I was reading to you, and we only read maybe 10 of them. There's 23 or more. Those are the iron filings for these schizophrenic uh, entities. This is that's the that's the operational definition. That's what they are. That's how they operate. And what psychiatry is trying to do is like pouring Thorazine on top of a magnetic field and expecting it to to dissipate that field. 
you know, it doesn't work. These are energetic entities. They are not physical. They don't respond to physical drugs. What they're doing is dumbing down the brain so the whole body just becomes numb. You know, these people are just zombies. You know, and it's it's ridiculous. And and, and the, the, the number of different mental illnesses that they make up every year is, is, is I mean, look at some of these mental illnesses. Mathematics disorder is one of the ones that are in. Oh, you, you don't get, you don't do mathematics. You don't like mathematics. You got a mathematics disorder. <laughs> uh, probably one of the first ones that got the worst case of that. Caffeine intoxication disorder. You know, you drink too much caffeine. Oh, you got a, a, a caffeine intoxication disorder. Kids that are fighting with each other. They're diagnosed sibling relational disorder. Sexual disorientation disturbance or homosexuality, another one. This, here's Florence syndrome, being overwhelmed by the beauty, such as Florence, Italy. The symptoms are fainting and dizziness. The treatment is antidepressant drugs. Wait, oh my Honest God. to God, this, this is garbage that these people are coming up with. Paris syndrome. Japanese patients experience this visiting Paris. You know? <laughs> Southern Bell syndrome, I think they had in there for a while. I mean, this is, you put 10 of them in a room and you give them a semi-complex diagnosis, you're not going to get the same diagnosis from them. It's Mr. completely Marzinski, subjective. You said that they're saying homosexuality is a disorder because they can't figure out why. Um, what do you think about this, the whole transgender thing that's happening here? Because that has a very high suicide rate as well. And it's also one of these things where wouldn't be surprised if most of these people are having a I mean clearly you're having a, a second dialogue in your head right something is telling you right and it's are. telling you that you're not good enough the way that you are right, right and yeah. so it kind of matches that that characteristic there as well yeah but you look at that in the normal average day person with their thought stream how, how many of them in, in our normal thought stream are hearing stuff like that you know, oh, you're not good enough. You, you just, you, that thought stream that you're listening to all day long, every day, is telling you stuff that you already know. It's telling you bad stuff about yourself. But who's the one listening? If you think that thought stream is you, who's listening to it? It's not you. Are you Come saying Zinsky. the more... The more you like uh, feed into it, the larger you open this portal for maybe more things to come in. Or do you think some people are susceptible to? I guess we talked about the familial, the familial thing, um, where they might be more susceptible to the same entities or similar ones that are affecting their family, or perhaps even psychologists that are around this. They're constantly physically around these other people. You might be, uh, you know, just being spoken to or you know, touched by these things. Maybe there's something about the six feet that they were doing during COVID, right? Like everybody stay six feet away, keep your demons on that side of the room, your demons on that side of the room. Well, that was part of the separation thing and the, and the, the psychotic voices do the same thing. You know, mm. stay away from me. I'm going to lock myself in my room. I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want to talk to people. I don't want to do anything. So separation is, is one of the things that they're after. Uh, Dr. Marzinski, we're, we're coming to this uh, hour and a half point, and I really do think um, it would be appropriate to discuss. We, we discussed Psalms 22, right, and how these these voices, these entities. Yeah. Oh, okay, uh, 43. Uh, 23. Oh, 23. That's what I, yeah, my mistake. Um, what have you found 
in your practice that actually works for, and I imagine it's, it's not a cure-all, right? You, you're not going to find a solution necessarily, but clearly the pharmaceutical industry has failed us miserably. Is there anything in your experience that Exorcisms? will actually, uh, uh, yeah, really, right? What is it that will alleviate these experiences for these folks? Well, what, the first one we talked about earlier, they have to realize that these, the, the, what psych, the psychiatric mafia is telling them is a lie. You know, and what the pharmaceutical industry is telling them is a lie. These voices are not hallucinations. They are entities. They're parasitic entities. They are putting bad thoughts in your head to, to, to create the negative lower vibration so they can feed off of you. You know, if you had a if you had a leech on you, you wouldn't just sit there and look at it. You'd want to get rid of it. The voices get furious. When I was working in the emergency rooms, you know, the patients that I felt I could trust, I would tell them what the voices were. And that helped them immensely. Now, then they realize it's not them. It's something outside of them. Because the voices, when the, the, the prisoners would ask them, who are you? What are you? The voice would say, we are you. They want you to believe that the, they are you that they're part of your thought stream, that you're going nuts. And and they are these 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 voices you hear in your head are actually you. They're not. There's got to be a separation. That's got to be done first. The second thing to realize is that they're liars. They lie about everything. They don't tell the truth about hardly anything. You know, 98% of what they tell people are lies. So Sherry, my, my co-author in this book, if you want to know more about this stuff, you know, how we came to the conclusion. You can go get this off of Amazon. You can get it off our website at jerrymarzinski.com. There's a lot more information there. But Sherry came up with the idea that, uh, well, she cured herself this way, is by every time the voices told her some bullcrap, she'd say, that's a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie. And 98% of the time, it was a lie. Okay. So if you don't believe what they're saying, they can't get you. You know, they have to they have to get you to believe what they're saying. Okay. So those are now, two things that can be done. Jerry, when you're and there's when a you're lot telling, more. I know, I'm sorry, but when you're telling your patients this, like uh how did how what's not just the success rate, but like I could imagine that this could get really tricky for these people, especially if if you're at like a low energy level and you're telling something like I'm on to you, there's probably gonna be some kind of a fight. And oh yeah, some people, there's a fight going on. There's there's a fight going on all the time because at some level, the person realizes that they're being pulled in a direction they don't want to go. You know, that the only time there might not be a fight is is the ones who believe. Um, see, so, so did another study and and what these people believe. The ones who believe what psychiatry is telling. That these are hallucinations. There's nothing they can do about them except take their toxic medications. They're the ones that are the worst off. They're the ones that are least likely to succeed. Then there's a middle group that are going, well, I don't know what they are. I'm not sure what they are. You know, they haven't made the, the, the decision that they're hallucinations, you know. And then there's the third group that the, the group that has the most chance to succeed are the ones that realize that these voices are not them. They're not who they are. They're coming from somewhere else and that they're the enemy. You know, they need to be fought against because what they're trying to do is take more and more control over the person constantly. You know, and if they can get you in prison, 
in a negative environment like that, that's a that's a hog's trough. The prisons are a hog trough for these things. You can feel it as soon as you walk in the door. I worked 18 years in the psychology department of a major, you know, state prison, and you could feel it as soon as you walk in the gate. I mean, it's just like, oh, you know, the prisons don't cure anything. They're they're graduate so, schools for criminals. At the end of the day, this is all a form of we're, we're experiencing spiritual warfare, and if you're yes. not aware that you're engaged in warfare well then you cannot mount a defense or an offense or anything you're just victimized you're just a sitting duck right and so i could see that as being the most integral the most important aspect of all this is to switch the mindset over from being a, a passive victim uh you know of your own psychology and into a, a much more proactive mode of you're actually being influenced by something that's not yourself. And and I think that that is also, it probably, if you can accept that, comes with this really high level of vindication, right? Because previously you've been told on every level that this is just you. There is no validity to this. This doesn't exist actually, uh, except for in your own mind. When I imagine for these people, this feels very real. Uh, oh, yeah. And, so it's a level of self-betrayal, right, to have to come to terms with the fact that this is just a hallucination. That is incredibly demoralizing, you know, because then you now have to operate from a, a, a playing field of my perspective is incredibly faulty and unreliable. I cannot trust my own senses or right. myself. And right. it's isolating and it's demoralizing. And to turn and say no something is happening to you this is very real you're being influenced by something that does not have your best intentions and in fact is uh you know waging war against you has to give back an incredible amount of agency to these yes. people yes and it does and they so i've had people contact me in in my private practice that you know they they said once i found out that it wasn't me that was enough i could handle it from there Wow. You know, it, it's it, it's incredibly liberating for them to know that it's not them because we're taught from the time we're kids that every thought that comes into your mind belongs to you. And that's far from the truth. You know, Emmanuel Swedenborg, Christian mystic, says none of your thoughts are yours. They come in either from heaven or they come in from hell. And you're the ones who chooses which ones you're going to pay attention to. And the, 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 the schizophrenic voices want to keep you tuned to the negative ones. You know, they'll, they, they increase your paranoia. They tell you people are after you that, uh, um, you know, they, they can, they have, some of them have incredible power. You know, they, they can do bad things. I could feel them when I was working in the ear. I couldn't see them. I couldn't, I couldn't hear them. But boy, I could feel them. It was like this icky electrical cold electrical energy there was no other feeling like it you know when they were really mad at me i could really i could really feel it you know, it was a little spooky but yeah they you know the first time so i saw they were running these patterns you know real quick so what i started doing was throwing monkey wrenches into the patterns when i was working in the in the state prison because in the state hospital, I couldn't experiment much because if they told the psychiatrist I was threatened, 
uh, I had to keep a real low profile in the prison. I had a group of, of prisoners around me all the time who would tell me in real time what the voices were saying. So I could I could try all kinds of stuff with them. So I I do all these experiments. I say, here, try this. Come back in a week and tell me what happened. That went on for years, you know, close to 18 years. And I'd find all these things that that would mess up their patterns. And then one day they started coming in and going, uh, the voices don't like what you're doing. You know, they don't like they don't like you. They don't want us coming here. They're telling me not to come here, to to blow it off. That you're crazy. You're stupid. Don't come here. And uh, that, I found that interesting. One after another would start saying, the voices don't like you. They don't like what you're doing. Okay? Then one day, one guy turned around in the doorway and he said, uh, you, you realize what you're doing is dangerous, don't you? You're messing with the voices. And I just looked at him. I, I'd never thought about it. You know, I thought, well, they're stuck <laughs> in their heads. They're, they can't come out and get me. They're stuck in their heads. And But I listened to it. I mean, I kept it. I kept it in the back of my mind because it was it was so odd. I mean, he just turned around as he was about to leave. He looked me straight in the eye and he goes, you realize what you're doing is dangerous, don't you? And I, I just stared at him like, no, I hadn't considered that. You know? So that same guy came back uh, a, a few weeks later without a, without a pass, knocked on my door in the psych department. He said, the voices want to talk to you. Now, that had never happened before. I'd never spoken to them directly. It was always the, the patient would tell me, the voices are telling me this, this is what they're saying. And then I'd tell him, well, go tell them to stick their head in the toilet or whatever. I mean, it would go that way. You know, they never spoke to me directly. And this guy, and I asked this guy, I said, they want to talk to me personally? He said, yeah, they want to talk to you personally. And that kind of took me aback. This is where my denial system completely collapsed. I mean, it was already in shambles because I had overwhelming evidence that these things were, uh, they were entities, they weren't hallucinations, but I kept denying it. I didn't want to see it. I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to, I didn't want to go there. You know, so I kept pushing it off and pushing it off and, oh, it's something with their subconscious. So I invited this guy in and uh, I, we both sat down. And I said, okay, what do they got to say? And these words came out of his mouth. You have no right to interfere with our way of life. Boom, my head just exploded. It was like, so they are entities. They aren't something. They, they are separate entities in this guy's. Uh, in the, and this guy went, that wasn't me. That was them. You know, was and, it a threat? Uh, like, you have no right? Or were they just like, were they complaining? Well, like, how they, they thought they, that would work? Well, it, 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 it blew my mind. I mean, I shut down the office. I didn't see anybody the rest of that day. It was like my denial system had completely collapsed, you know, and it, it took me a few weeks to kind of kind of shake that off. But I knew at that point that these were entities. They weren't hallucinations. They weren't some figment of the subconscious mind. They weren't some, you know, made up bullcrap that they were actual entities that could think and could speak and could could reason to some degree. You know? So that didn't that didn't stop me. You know, it just it just shook me up really bad. I mean, it shook me up. My denial says now I'm dealing with entities, but I didn't have any map, any cognitive map of where I was going or the territory I was entering into or or what the roadmap was. It was just complete unexplored territory. I had no idea where I was going, and and there was nobody to talk to. I couldn't talk to anybody about any of this stuff. I had to keep it to myself. And there were times I felt like I was going crazy. 
So the next big thing that happened is the same guy. Um, I was reading a book called the, the Voice of Knowledge by Miguel Ruiz. I mean, anybody who's interested in mental health ought to read this. And it was talking about these things being entity, uh, parasitic entities. And I called this, uh, this guy back in again. It was a, weeks later. And I started, I said, I want your opinion of what, what this guy had to say. And I had a paragraph kind of highlighted. And I did that all the time. I would bring stuff in. I would, I would ask schizophrenics thousands of questions about everything. I mean, constantly I was asking them questions. And, you know, they trusted me and, and, and Jerry, I was getting a lot of information. It would have know? been a great podcast. You messed up, man. This is that's a number well, one. Well, you know what? I do have transcripts. I, I have word-to-word transcripts. We can do that another time to actually take you there. But what happened this time was the same guy that that uh, warned me, you know, what you're doing is dangerous. I, I said, I'd like your opinion on this. The, this this shaman is saying these things are parasitic entities. You know, I didn't I didn't say that at the time, but I'd like your opinion of this. I started reading it, and when it got to the point where it it actually spoke about these voices being parasitic entities, he, he got glazed over. He sat there just like a, a, a zombie. You know, I looked up at him and I'm like, what are you thinking? He's just staring at me. And then I heard this, this, this crackle erupt behind my head. It was like, it sounded just like a, a, a electrical welding torch. You know, that kind of crackle, it was a loud electrical crackle and it exploded right from behind my head. And I'm like, what, you know, like, what, what the hell's happening? And then I hear it jump to the wall on my right hand side and it's crackling loudly. And I'm staring at the wall where the noise is coming from. But I was afraid to take my, my vision off of this guy because I was thinking he's going to attack. So I pushed my chair against the wall just in case he does so I could kick him off because all they had was female guards in the medical unit at that time. They would have been useless in a fight. So I'm, I'm switching my attention between him and this crackle, and it's going up my right-hand office wall, like crack, 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 crack. I don't see anything. I don't smell anything. I just hear it, and it's very loud, and it's persisting. And I, I'm swinging my attention between him and this crackle. It goes up to the top of the ceiling and then starts cutting over the, uh, the ceiling to the left, to the, over to the left wall. So I could see the patient, and I could, see the, I could hear the crackling at the same time. I couldn't see anything. But it, 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 it went on for a good minute or two. I mean, it wasn't just brief. It just kept going on and on and on. And then it started coming down the left-hand wall right for me because I was up against the left-hand wall. And it jumps into this Rubbermaid trash can to my left, and it's crackling in that trash can. And I bend over and I look, and there's nothing in there. The, the inmate porter had cleaned it the night before. It's completely empty. And this thing, whatever it is, is crackling in there, but I don't see anything. And I'm, I'm like blown away. I'm like, what the frick is going on? And uh, you know, I'm like blown away. And then this guy slowly gets up and he goes, I got to leave. And I'm like, yeah, go, go get, get the hell out of here, man. Go. You know, I'm like, you know, and I was just so relieved to see him leave the office and walk down the hall. So after he left, I, I searched the walls. I mean, is there any burn marks? Is there any evidence of what I just heard? Of course, I couldn't tell anybody about this. You know, there's nobody. I think I was a nutcase. 
Yeah. So after after they checked the walls, I didn't see any burn marks or any evidence that anything had ever happened. I walked out into the hallway and I started looking at all the doctors and nurses' offices. Nobody was in there. There was no cause for this. You know, I, I, and I, and I'm just completely blown away. I mean, I I didn't see anybody the rest of that day. I just closed my door and and canceled all my appointments. And I, my mind was just warped. And, and I, it took me three or four months to get enough courage to call this guy back, you know, and I, I eventually did it. He looked good when he came through the door. I thought he'd be a wreck. I thought he'd be a total wreck, you know, and I, I told him that. I said, you, you look good. He goes, no, I've been doing what you told me. I haven't gotten rid of them, but I'm able to hold them off to a certain degree, you know, so they haven't taken over, but I haven't gotten rid of them. And I said, I, I said, well, sit down. Uh, I want to ask you some questions. I said, you remember the last time you were in here? Did you hear that crackling noise? He goes, yeah, I heard it. He said, but I was surprised you did. And uh, I said, you know, what the blazes was that? And he said, that's them. And I said, them who, the voices? He goes, yeah, they were the voices. And I said, well, what in the dickens were they doing? He said, they were trying to scare you off. And I said, they did one hell of a job of it, you know? So, uh, uh, you know, we talked a little bit more and I, I you know, I, that's the first time I've ever experienced anything like that. And and I was shooken up because it's like, I have no cognitive map of where this is going. You know, where is this going? So uh, uh, I, uh, he, I said, you look, you looked really strange when you left my office. I mean, you looked like a zombie. I said, what were the voices telling you at the time you got up and left my office? He said, they were telling me to go get a shank and stick it in your gut. Holy shit. And I'm thinking, oh, he wouldn't do that. I've been working with him for six months. Uh, he wouldn't do anything like that. He's an okay guy, although he's a little strange. He wouldn't do that. And I said, well, why didn't you do it? And he said, I couldn't find one and nobody would give me one. That warped my head. And I'm, I'm like going, where is this going? I don't have any map of this territory. I don't know what this is. I, it, it, it's like entering... You know, it must have been like when Columbus sailed for the New World or something. I mean, it was like, where am I going? And I couldn't talk to anybody about this. There was nobody to ask. You know, there was nobody to talk to. You know, finally, maybe a few years later, the, the, uh, my, my uh, co-author for the book, you know, I'd known her for 10 years before I started telling her one day about a patient I was working with. And uh, she goes, oh, I know all about that. Uh, I heard voices when I was a young woman. And I'm like, I can't believe it. So I started hammering her with all kinds of questions that only somebody who heard the voices would be able to answer. And bam, 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 one after another, one after another, she answered those questions. There was no doubt that she had experienced the voices. And she's one of the most spiritual people I've ever known. Her name, Sherry Sweeney, my co-author in, in the book, An Amazing Journey into the Psychotic Mind. And then I had somebody I could finally talk to about the voices. She understood. You know, so... I couldn't talk to my wife because she'd go, oh, no, you don't you shouldn't be poking into the heads of these psychotic killers. Don't do that. Oh, that's bad. So I couldn't talk to her. I couldn't talk to, you know, my psych friends because they didn't believe in that. They all believed that the voices were hallucinations. I had nobody to talk to for years. And there were times like, like this where I felt I was actually going crazy. You know, it was very, very isolating, very, uh, very lonely place to be. Wow. Well, Jerry, 
Uh, we're coming up on time here, and let me just say something to you. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously younger and way less educated than you, but I feel like all that craziness that you felt is going to be, uh, obviously, it's going to be fully redeemed, if not already in your eyes. As we get to the times of, like, you know, things will be as they were in the days of Noah, this sort of stuff, that we're quickly coming upon this time where people are, I feel like people are waking up and also realizing this from from your point of view. They're seeing what you saw 20, 30 years ago, and unfortunately, it wasn't your time back then. But I feel like, it, unfortunately, it might be our time. So thank you for like coming on and this is just a fat we i feel like i could talk to you for another five hours but it's, what a fascinating subject and like what you're doing to kind of enlighten the people listening and just anyone who can hear what you're saying of what is going on today and how how much is proliferated and where we're headed and perhaps a way to 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 battle it you know i think that's the, the most important thing well, people can go to my website at jerrymarzinski.com, then go to articles. There's things that they can do themselves there. Okay. Now, don't forget about MACE. I mean, psychiatry should be replaced by this MACE energy method. I mean, it actually works, and it works quickly, and it actually solves and gets rid of psychological problems. Uh, again, there's the, the website is www.maceenergymethod.com backslash about backslash there's mace therapists there including myself this will be i'm gonna if you could send me the links i think you might have already i'm gonna put this in the in the description to all the videos so people can just go and click because i know people are lazy typing stuff in but this it's important okay i'll I'll send it to you thank you i appreciate okay guys thanks for thanks for having me on uh maybe someday in the future we can we'll go through those transcripts so you can actually see what these conversations between what what the system considered criminally insane patients and myself looked like. It, it's fascinating stuff. I would, I would love to. Yeah. Um, thank you again. And we're gonna. I'm gonna let you get out of here, man. David, anywhere, anything you want to plug before we go? No, just thank you okay. for your time, uh, Dr. Marzinski. This was uh, uh, genuinely a pleasure. A dream come true. <laughs> okay. Well, send me send, send me a link when you have it, guys. All right. Will do. Th- thank you. Have, have a good day, guys. We'll see you uh, soon. <laughs> Peace All out. Right. The greatest hypnotist on planet Earth is a oblong box in the corner of the room. It is constantly telling us what to believe is real. You can persuade them that what they see with their eyes is what there is to see. Because because they'll laugh in the face of an explanation that portrays the bigger picture of what's happening. And they have.